How long shall I cry for help and you will not listen? Or cry to you, violence, and you will not save? Why do you make me see wrongdoing and look at trouble? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law becomes slack and justice never prevails. The wicked surround the righteous. Therefore judgment comes forth perverted. Look at the nations and see. Be astonished. Be astounded. For a work is being done in your days that you would not believe if you were told. For I am rousing the Chaldeans, that fierce and impetuous nation, who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. Dread and fearsome are they. Their justice and dignity proceed from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more menacing than wolves at dusk. Their horses charge. Their horsemen come from far away. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They all come for violence. With faces pressing forward, they gather captives like sand. At kings, they scoff. And of rulers, they make sport. They laugh at every fortress and heap up earth to take it. Then they sweep by like the wind. They transgress and become guilty. Their own might is their God. Are you not from of old, O Lord my God, my Holy One? You shall not die. O Lord, you have marked them for judgment, and you, O Rock, have established them for punishment. Your eyes are too pure to behold evil, and you cannot look on wrongdoing. Why do you look on the treacherous and are silent when the wicked swallow those more righteous than they? You have made people like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. The enemy brings all of them up with a hook. He drags them out with his net. He gathers them in his same, so he rejoices and exults. Therefore he sacrifices to his net and makes offerings to his same. For by them his portion is lavish and his food is rich. Is he then to keep on emptying his net and destroying nations without mercy? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks for your prayers for this morning, uh, for my preaching at St. James Norton. They're awaiting a new vicar, Ben Shires, who I think is known to our Simon here in the parish. And of course, they're to be linked with St. Peter's, also has a link with our parish of old. I attended the gang show of the Scouts uh, event last night, which is incredibly impressive, packed nights. And uh, the thank you afterwards came from none other than Bear Grylls on the video screen. Uh, there was a sprinkling of our own membership there, but I have to say thanks for your support uh, for that uh, particular event. And of course for reading the vicar's letter, 
and it's dawned on me, I've used this gag a few times, that the Lent series this year is spiced up with the Church of England murder and pain. What more could you want uh, for the season of Lent? But do make a priority for those lectures and encourage others to come along. So important that the Christian church has engagement with uh, the real world. And some of that will figure in our thinking this evening from the book of Habakkuk. Let's pray together. Father, we're a company of your people, deeply loved. We pray for your resurrection life to descend upon us once again. And as we open these holy pages of scripture, so we pray our hearts would be open to its teaching. And the spirit who inspired these words would indeed inspire our lives to live in accordance with its teaching. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Probably four aims this evening to encourage you on your own at some point to read the brief three chapters of the minor prophet of the book of Habakkuk. That's all there is, but it starts an evening sermon series. So I intend to introduce the book, or probably, as you'll think, more pertinently to introduce the prophet himself to us and to explore some of the themes that are tangentially mentioned there and their wider implications for how we might think about our faith or indeed share our faith with others. And because this is a sermon, uh, it's from the scriptures, what's the scriptures saying to us, particularly as God's people at this time in my life as I'm living before him now. I was privileged, and I'm sorry we've not got the picture of the politician I heard speak uh, two and a half weeks ago. Uh, That was the plan, but it's not happened. Uh, Baroness Stroud, who is, uh, so Wikipedia says, or Google says, the least known politician. And in fact, she wasn't known to me, and others who I know are engaged in the political world in this environment have not heard of her either. But she's in the House of Lords, and I had the privilege of hearing her speak for some 40 minutes on Christian social involvement and engagement. An incredibly impressive talk, even greater respect, for she's married to a Church of England, to a pastor uh, in London, and she's got all that to contend with as well. Uh, Wife, uh, children, grandchildren, and now running an independent charity for social transformation with Christian principles. And impressive for me to see in the audience a number of her well-wishers and staff there, most of whom were women and most of whom were really young. A really impressive uh, time was had. One of the themes going through her talk, uh, we have a family motto, so she said, create, not complain. And this motto, that so it was said was part of her family life, create, not complain, was woven through her talk. Uh, She did hold office in uh, the government, pensions, and I've forgotten the name of the department, uh, but now she's in the House of Lords. Interesting to hear some of her stories of political involvement that have literally run into the sand. But she spoke with hope and vigour and Christian principles and kept saying, as you have guessed, we create, we don't complain. Why mention that? Well, the book of Habakkuk is famous for his complaints. And it's not that he's on the naughty step. He's not one of the lesser people that you really don't want to mix with. He is one of the good guys. 
the sort of people you want to hang out with because you'll become like them. Very little is known about Habakkuk except that his faith was vigorous and pure. Legend has it that he was one of the people that sustained Daniel in the lion's den. Now Daniel, of course, is someone who the scriptures hold up as having no wrong, no vices, virtue, a paradigm, an example for us all. And so it said, legend has it, Habakkuk was one of the people that kept him going. Habakkuk is famous in the scriptures for being the only prophet that speaks to God. Now, of course, all prophets are connecting with God, but all prophets are famous for speaking to other people about God. And in the Old Testament particularly, God's people were Israel, so all God's prophets spoke to Israel about God, except Habakkuk. The only thing he did was to speak to God himself. You don't hear his sermons, you don't hear his pastoral care, you don't hear his notices, you don't hear anything. All you hear is what he's saying to God. And what he's saying to God, for most of the three chapters, is complaints. You can see it there in verse 2. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not listen? And verse 3, why do you make me see wrongdoing and look in trouble? And so the complaints unfold. The complaint, the first one, is verses 2 to 4. The Lord gives an answer in verses 5 to 11. Habakkuk doesn't like the answer, and I'll try and explain why, and so he has another go. Not at advising other people or giving a sermon but speaking to God himself with another complaint. Verses 12 to 17. A little bit of a cliffhanger because we don't, in chapter 1, hear what the Lord says in answer to the second complaint. You could even say it's an argument because there's an exchange between God and the prophet. Create dot don't complain am I saying therefore that complaints are not right do everything without complaining one of the scriptures says Baroness Stroud was certainly very impressive to labour fruitlessly through governmental departments seeing nothing happen for her labours you keep creating you don't complain I'm not saying we shouldn't complain. In fact, what I am saying is the brightest and the best of the prophets who singled out in the scriptures, all he's famous for is complaining. Bit of a parenthesis, if ever you find that something is unique in scripture, it's always worth thinking, well, what's this uniquely got to say to me? And so the doctrine or the learning given that all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching rebuke and teaching us in righteousness means quite literally that. It's not that some passages are more important than others. If all scripture is God-breathed, then all words, all letters, all books, all chapters, all uniqueness must be taken really seriously. Particularly what's Habakkuk got to say to us when we feel like 
complaining. There's nothing wrong with it. I think this was on the, uh, the famous Loxley trip as I was driving around Sheffield, trying to restrain emotions of anger and keeping my eye on the road to get back home safely and well. And out of the corner of my eye, I came across the heading of a shop. I think it's even on the Aberdale Road. And I thought, this really, goodness me, that really is a little bit of a head-turner. Rational Kitchens. Oh, there, I thought that was an interesting name for a shop. I mean, what on earth does an irrational kitchen look like? Well, dear, where's the frying pan? Well, it's in the bathroom. You're being irrational. It's in the kitchen. We don't keep frying pans in the bathroom, do we? There's rationality to our kitchens. Where is the egg coddler? It's by the egg cup. Just behind it. It's rational. We can joke about kitchens being rational or not. Do you agree where you keep your frying pan? Can you find your egg coddler when you need one? Is there rationality to the place where you put your plates? We might jest and joke. But is there rationality in the heart and in the being of God? Probably the deepest philosophical argument for the existence of God is that when push comes to shove and you're up against it, most human spirits will say to God, Why? Why is this happening? The presupposition, therefore, is that there must be a God who's there who gives some form of order and harmony to his world. Otherwise, we wouldn't be making the statement, why? A rationality in the world and in the heart of God also presupposes a rational question, why? But Habakkuk is answering, complaining, why is this happening in my life? Why is this on the news screens? Why is all this going on? How much longer can I contain this? There is a degree of rationality coming back when God answers Habakkuk. And you have the first part of the answer in verses 5 to 11. Habakkuk doesn't like it. He can't understand it. In very simple terms, Habakkuk can't understand why there's so much injustice and wrongdoing and calamity happening in his world, his particular world. And God says, I tell you how I'm going to answer your complaint. I'm going to send an evil force, the Babylonian force, a more powerful force than you, someone you will probably never understand or like, but this is how I'm going to answer your complaint. So Habakkuk complains, the answer comes, and even that's not to his liking. We've not got time to go into how the Lord answers the second complaint, but simply put, or the dumbed-down version is, I'm God, I created the whole world, and I can deal with things as I choose. And in some way, greater respect and awe will come when you come to terms with this, hard as it may be seen to hear. Notice some of the images that Habakkuk uses for God. This is in his second complaint when he's having a go at God. Look, I don't agree with what you're saying to me. Notice there the images of the rock. Notice in verse 12, And you, O rock, have established them for punishment. Notice too the words of everlasting. 
you are from everlasting and of old. It feels as if to me and my faith that you're there and you always will be and so you are known as the everlasting one. Someone has said, in fact it was Corrie ten Boom, that when you're in a pit, God digs even deeper. Corrie ten Boom, of course, survived the Nazi Holocaust and endured vile atrocities and evil was in the pit of despair and found with Christian faith that when you're in a pit, God digs even deeper. When you're at rock bottom, guess who is there with you? The rock himself. So these questions might well come, but what Habakkuk finds out is there is still someone there with him who is hearing him and who is responding to him. We might not like the answer. We might not even understand it. But God still comes back and says, this is as it is. There was, of course, someone else who said, why is this happening to me? There was, of course, someone else who had enduring to him things that he didn't feel were right. There was a watching world that saw this Jesus on the cross saying why, enduring violence and suffering, a strange, very, very strange way to make amends for sin and folly. The death of a holy and righteous man. But just as the Babylonian army came and in some senses brought a lesson to Israel that they couldn't learn any other way, So there is a very real profound sense that when we ask the question, why is it that the Holy One Jesus had to die and suffer for us that sin might be forgiven? Why is it in that particular way we can't really answer other than to say this is how God so wills it that we might indeed be forgiven? What are some of the implications for this? Well, perhaps your complaints are minor. Perhaps you're dealing with people who have hit rock bottom, who are in a pit. Find ways to support and encourage them because surely God is there with them. He has known the pit of despair. He has known the place where questions aren't answered. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And there's no answer, there's blackness, it's gone. But the Babylonians were used for Israel. The cross was used for God's people today. And is God there? This, I'm afraid, is our creed. This is what we hold out to the watching world. Probably I should say as a preacher that before we can preach or say anything to anyone else, we need first to encounter God ourselves. Come to him with questions. Listen to his answer. Find in that moment how he is with you. And then you'll have something encouraging to say to other people. And if it's not others you're supporting, if it's yourself in either the pit of despair 
or on a slow, slippery slope to that and you sense things are not right. Honesty, complete honesty is the best policy. Here is someone who was legendary at helping the best of the best. Here is someone whose three short chapters in Holy Scripture are held up as a virtue, an example for us to follow. And what's he doing? He's complaining. He's despairing. You could be on Habakkuk's side. Notice how he ends. If we all know John 3.16, and I hope we all do, we all should know Habakkuk 3.16. goes on, in fact, uh, I wait quietly for the day of calamity to come upon the people who attack us. Though the fig tree does not blossom and no fruit is on the vines, though the produce of olive oil fails and the fields yield no food, though the flock is cut off from the fold and there's no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will exult in the God of my salvation. The fig trees failed, the wines failed, the oils failed, the fields failed, everything's failed, but stuff it. I'm going to rejoice. I'm going to delight in God. For I've complained, I've opened my heart to him, I'm honest to him, and I still find he's my rock. He's from everlasting to everlasting. So we thank God for Habakkuk, and I pray you'll read some of these scriptures and have courage to come to him in prayer, perhaps with your complaints, Perhaps with your questions, there might come that spirit of creativity. Certainly a good motto, create, don't complain. Let's pray together. Father, indeed we pray this night for those who have questions of confidence and doubt about the ordering of their lives or your world. As you reassured Habakkuk of old, so we pray for your spirit to rest upon them with reassuring love. And we pray for ourselves that you would give us that space and that time to pray to you and to listen to your answer. And we pray for that greater optimism of creativity and resilience of spirit that you must help, help each one of us to be a people of hope in an often despairing world. All these prayers, spoken and unspoken, we offer in the name of Christ. Amen.